is love. Oh, what is love? Oh, love is universal. Love is everything. Love wins all. Like, love is when you're unconditionally accepting, unconditionally forgiving, and you just see everything for what it is. No judgment. Well, you know, I'm 17. Uh, don't have a lot of relationship experience. Never been married. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, uh, like a lot of girls, they always say they love you, and it doesn't mean anything to them. They just use it as an excuse to, like, get closer to you. And, um, you know, it, it, I'm not experienced in it, but all I know is that, like, it can change how you feel about someone, and it makes you uh, want to get closer to them and be with them the rest of your life. Love means loving unconditionally, give and take, accepting the good and the bad. Um, just like the never ending, like you can't do anything to make me not love you. And um, I feel like love happens to you too and you, def you definitely can't deny it when it happens. Um, and it's just, it just embodies like everything that the person is and um, who they are and you can't stop it because it just happens to you. Uh, to me, love's a complex word. Um, I've been married for 20 years now, so it's changed over the years, but in the long run, I mean, somebody that's going to be with you and stay by your side and somebody you enjoy being with and wanting to spend the rest of your life with till they part. All right. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Go ahead and slap somebody a high five. Welcome somebody. Tell them, I'm so happy that you are here. All right. So we are starting a new series today entitled Love Does. Love Does. And we're going to be talking about the power of love. We're going to be talking about its nature. We're going to be talking about how it applies to our daily lives. We're going to talk about how it works, what it is. And as you saw from the video, we asked some regular people. What do you mean by regular? All of us are regular. Yes, we're all regular. You're right. But we just asked some random people through different channels that we had, what is love? And as you can see, everybody has their own definition for what love is. Will we agree with that? How many of you, when you think about love, you think about someone? You think about something, right? You think about somewhere, right? See, for some of us, love can be a feeling. For some of us, love can be a force that just happens to you, right? For some of us, it can be an emotion. There's a lot to be said about love in this world. Let me give you an example of some quotes that I came across. Uh, this guy named Nicholas Sparks, who's like a big time, you know, one of those romance novels. He says, this, I'm quoting him as saying this, love is like the wind, you can't see it, but you can feel it, right? Aristotle, right, the great uh, 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 philosopher once said, love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. Real deep, right? And Lao Tzu, the guy who founded Taoism, says this. He says, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone gives you courage. What does all that mean, right? See, like I said, there's a lot that people have said throughout the years about love, but today 
I'd like us to instead consider what love says and who love is. I'd like to talk to you today for the moments that we have here about the person of love. The person of love. If you haven't considered this, love is so much more than the feelings we have. Love is so much more than the experiences that we've gone through, the puppy love, the this, the that. Love is a person, and love is God. Now, let me ask you a question, a rhetorical question for you to consider. When did you first experience love? Think about it. Don't shout yourself down and don't shout somebody else out. But I want you to think about it. The truth is this, that when you think about love in the beginning, now I know for some of us we say, God is love. Praise God. I'm glad you see that. I'm glad you got that revelation. But the truth is that before we ever understood that God is love, we concluded our definition of love from an experience with someone. Could have been a parent. Could have been a teacher. Could have been a mentor. Could have been a pastor. Could have been a friend. Could have been people that you grew up with. But the truth is that love is so much more than the experiences we've had with people. And the reason why I want to start off by kind of opening up this conversation with that point is because if we're not careful, we will continue to equate love to people at the expense of God. That's dangerous. That right there is a false definition. So let's take a deeper look at love in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. This guy knew a lot about love, this guy John. This is the guy that dared to say, I'm the one that Jesus loves. This is the guy that dared to say, hey, I'm, of all the 12, I'm the one who can lean on his chest. I'm the one that is closest to him. So let's consider what the Holy Spirit placed upon John's heart in revealing to us love. Starting at verse 7 in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. As we're reading this, I want you to think about this. What does God want us to know about his love? Now, I know I'm here sharing a message, some thoughts with you, but I don't want you, leave, I don't want you to leave here saying this is what Pastor Jose said. What I want you to consider is, what does God say to me? What is it that God wants me to understand about his love? And so he says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Go ahead and share with somebody, God is love. love. Tell somebody else, God is love. love. Now go ahead and tell yourself, God is love. love. I know, for some of us, this this is, we're still kind of struggling with this. I pray that, that I do justice in sharing this message of God's love today. It says that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he 
loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we live, I'm sorry, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression. Watch this. In us. That's for another week. But I just want to point something out to you that when God decided, when God made up his, master, his mind uh, to, to reveal his master plan of his love, there's two vehicles through which he did it. The very first and most important one was his son, Jesus Christ. That's the very first and most important one. But do you know how God continues to show his love? We just saw it in scripture. Through us. Through us. Through you. Yes, through you. Through me. Through people. What an amazing plan. And so it goes on to say in verse 13, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust, listen closely, in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Listen, you could spend the rest of your life in those nine little verses. Thinking about God's love. There's a couple of things that we see here about God's love. Look. I'm a very practical guy, so I'm not here to give you a heavy revy. I just want you to think about the practicality, the simplicity of God's great love and how, how tangible it is for us. Where love is, God is. Think about this. Where love is, God is. Now, we've already gotten to the point that we understand that love is not our feelings, right? Anybody still struggling with that? Right? No. God, uh, love is a person. It's God. I remember... When I was, uh, my first experience with love, it was in second grade. That was my first, no, my first real experience with love was with God. But then it came with Pastor Annette. And she had to make sure that you know that. <laughs> but the first time I thought I knew what love was, I was in second grade. And her name was Mrs. Robinson. And she was heaven on earth in my eyes. I loved Mrs. Robinson. I had to give her a hug every day. I would give her candy. And then one day I took the plunge. And I said to her, Miss Robinson, I love you. And she said, oh, that's so sweet. And I said, no, I'm in love with you. And she said... Let's go take our seats. And I learned something then that I thought was true about love. You know what I thought? Love is for adults. It's not for kids. That's what I thought. And I'm, I'm being honest with you. That's, that's initially what I thought love was. Then I learned love in a different capacity, which wasn't accurate either. You know, my mom was a great person, but my mom was, you know, raising six kids by herself. She didn't have much time for anything. 
So we had some difficult times. And my mom wasn't the most patient person. And so at that time in my life, throughout those years, I learned what I thought love was. I thought love feels good while I can get it. As long as I'm in someone's good graces, I can get some love. But that didn't work. And then I uh, experienced love from a particular man in my life, an uncle, my uncle. And he was this strong guy. He was a man's man. He drove a Chevy Nova, had the dice on it with the big 20-inch racing wheels, right? It was vomit green. Ugliest thing you could, but it was a nice car, right? And because it was my uncle, I just loved the car. But I, I, I learned from my uncle that love is strong until I let him down. And then I thought, well, I'm weak. I don't, can't do this. Love doesn't work for me. And then there's the love that some of us have come to know or are still in this process of getting to know. By the way, that process never ends. Love never fails, but love goes on and on and on and on. And so we'll always be learning and exploring God's love. There's so many dimensions to it, but there's the love of God. And, you know, that challenged me because in the beginning I said, well, you know, okay, God is love. What does that mean? How do I feel that? And that failed me until I began to see that God doesn't just love. God is the person of love. And so the scripture says that where love is, that God is there. That's the example that it gives us. I want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 17 through 19. I want to jump off from there and I want you to see what the scripture says. It says, Starting at verse 17 of Ephesians 3, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established, watch this, in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I want you to think about this, that when we come to know God as the definition of love in our lives, it builds a root system in our lives. It anchors us. I want you to consider that the scripture says here that Christ is the one that should dwell in our hearts as we believe and put our trust in him. And as we do, something begins to happen. A root system begins to develop and expand and take a hold of a confidence in a God who is unfailing, a God who's forever forgiving, and a God who is loving, who is love. And that root system leads us to a place where we begin to grasp and take a hold of a love that goes so far beyond our knowledge, our understanding, and according to Scripture, it's that love that causes us to grow. The Scripture says that it brings us to the fullness of the measure of who God is. Now, according to the Scripture, you're already like Christ. The Scripture says that as He is, so are you. The scriptures declare that he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So you're already like Christ. 
But listen closely. The key to unlocking maturity as a believer, as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a young person, as who God has called you to be, the key that unlocks that is an understanding of God's love for you personally. You know, I used, to, I used to be that guy years and years ago. I told you I grew up in the military, right? From a very young age, I was in the army of the Lord, and everything was, we had to walk a certain way, act a certain way. We couldn't watch movies because I was going to hell almost every week for going to the movies. That was, that was my experience, and I thought that that was love. I, I, I believed God loved me, but I was afraid of God, and I didn't understand love. You know why I share that with you? Because there was no growth in all those years of my life. It wasn't until years later when I moved up here and, and was already exploring some things in the Word that we began to grow in different ways. In the absence of love, there's an absence of God's power in our lives. I didn't say that God is absent. That's not what I said. It's like electricity. It's always been there. You know that, right? It's always been there. So somebody got the bright idea to figure out a way to tap into this new power source. Listen, God's love is present for the entire world. Not just for you, Christian. Not just for you who love God. It's available for the murderer. It's available for the businessman. It's available for the person who's struggling. It's, it's available for the person who doesn't want to know anything about God. It's there for everyone. But in the absence of God's love... We live a powerless life. And so, according to the scriptures we just read, what we see is that love is revealed in what God really did. Let me tell you why that's important. Because if you want to know what love is, you've got to know what love did. You've got to know what God did. You've, you've got to begin to wrap your head around this. Now, I want you to think about this uh, I'll use you in, as an example, sir, Maurice. I love you, brother. Right? You love me, right? So we, we got love for each other. And then today after service, I show up at your house afterwards, and I go, hey, Maurice, standing outside your house. And you're looking out the window. And I got a brick in my head. I'm like, hey, what's up, brother? And I throw it through your windshield in your car. And then I stand, I go, I love you. How loving are you going to feel towards me? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Look, the truth is that the way we've come to understand love in this world, I'm not saying this is where your understanding is, but the love that this world teaches us is a conditional love. It's a love that's pay for play. I do for you and you do for me. But that's not the love of God. That's not real love. Real love goes far beyond that. I want to share an analogy with you just a quick story that I read recently, uh, and, I, and I thought I'd share it today, and it's about love, and about really God's love. It goes like this, it says, there's a story of two brothers, Bill and Bob, who lived side by side in their own farms for many years until one day, tragedy struck. Now, this is just, this is not a real account, just so you know. Um, and so, on a crisp fall morning during the, during the hunting season, Bill and Bob started their day like any other, over a cup of coffee and lively discussion about a massive buck they had both seen 
while they watched Bill's only child at play by the creek between their properties. Annie was a lively child, curious as ever and as quick as they came on her feet. But on this day, Annie wasn't quick enough. And Bill and Bob's lives changed from that day forward. Later that morning, Bob decided to head out in hopes of netting himself that buck. After a few hours of sitting in, in the woods on his property, his heart leapt as he saw his prize. He thought to himself how much, how much meat it would provide and how he'd brag over it to his brother Bill and what its head would look like once mounted on a mantle in his home. And as he began to take aim, he noticed that the deer was suddenly startled by something nearby. He made the choice then to take his shot before, his, before he lost this opportunity. One breath, two breaths. He took as he honed in through his scope, but just as he squeezed the trigger, he saw the deer take off and he realized to his, or to his horror what he had just done. It was Annie nearby as she attempted to feed the deer who fell in its place at the strike of its bullet. One day, many years later, there was a knock at Bill's door. And when he opened it, he was facing an old bearded carpenter holding a toolbox. I could sure use some work, sir, said the stranger. Do you need any repairs in your farm? Yes, replied the brother. I've got a job for you. Across the creek, there's a farm that happens to belong to someone I once knew. Until recently, the whole area between our homes was green, but then he changed the creek's path making it into a border between us. I'm sure he did that for spite, but I'll show him, said Bill. You see those trees by the barn? I want you to turn them into a 10-foot tall fence. I never want to see his face again. The old, car the old carpenter thought quietly to himself for a few moments and eventually said, I see. The farmer helped the carpenter carry his tools and the wood and then drove off to the city on some errands. When he came back in the evening, the old carpenter had finished. Upon arriving at the creek, Bill was stunned. His eyes were bulging out, and he couldn't utter a single word. Where a fence should have been standing, a bridge now stood. A quaint and special bridge, truly a work of art, with an intricately carved banister. At the same time, Bob happened to come to the same spot. He rushed over the bridge and embraced his brother and said, You're something special. With tears in his eyes, he said, You built a bridge after all I've done. While both brothers slowly came to one another and started hugging, the old carpenter collected his tools and started walking away. The brothers turned to him and said, Please stay for a few more days. We have more things that need fixing. The carpenter said, I would love to stay, kind sirs, but I have many more bridges to build and things to fix in other places. Let me tell you something. God loved humanity so much that where there was a chasm that existed between us, God said, I will cross whatever separation exists between us and build the bridge 
that you should have been building because you dropped the ball. I'll build it for you and I'll draw you back and I'll call you by my love and I'll lift your life up and I'll change your circumstances. That's the love of God. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, in who? In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body in himself to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, in context, this verse here is talking about the separation that was drawn between Jews and Gentiles, people that weren't Jews. There was this line that they had set where they said, we're godly and you're not. And God said, no, 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 no. That's not my plan for humanity. Let me show you a better way. Notice that the scripture says that he brought us near by the blood of Christ. Listen closely. It is the sacrifice of Christ that built the bridge that now guarantees us according to scripture that we can come boldly before his throne of grace and mercy and it's always available to us. Let me tell you something. There is nothing keeping you from the love of God and there's nothing keeping the love of God from you this day. See, to love, we must first know love. We must know love. 1 John 4.16 says, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. Let me just stop right there for a moment. Listen to what the Holy Spirit, what God is saying through the life of this man. He says, I know that God loves me. He says, we know how much God loves us. How much? How can you even put a size to the love of God? How can we even begin to draw a line and measure the love of God? And yet this man, through, the, through what God has done in his life, is writing this letter. And here's what he's saying. Here's what God is communicating to us. You can know my love to that extent. You can know a love that is unending. You can know a love that has no measure. You can know a love that is forever at work and available in your life and mine. But you see, without knowing how much God loves you and God loves me and putting our trust in his love for us, we ourselves cannot love. We can't. We all have said it. I love you. Can I ask you a question for self-reflection? Has that always proven to be true in your life? I know it hasn't in mine. See, Without this love of God, understanding God's love for us and allowing that to begin to uh, uh, produce roots and eventually produce fruit in our life, we, we, we can't love. Love is a lot like a fruit, you know that? It, can be in, it can't be enjoyed unless its seed is first planted. Here's something simple to consider. Let your mind be renewed to how much God loves you. And watch how.
how love works through your life in every regard. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better mother, a better father. You'll be a better neighbor. You'll rise to places that you never thought you would because you are prime and ready to produce the fruit that God wants all the world to know. His love. His love. His love. And so the Bible records a time when Jesus gets invited for dinner, of all things, to the home of a Pharisee. Now what you might not know, or maybe you do, is that in these days, when you invited someone to your house, it wasn't just like, hey, come on over for pizza. When you invited someone to your home, it was, it was an expression of love. It, there were actually things that you did for your guests. You, you had their feet washed. They, they, there was a certain place that they held uh, amongst the food. They, they, they were given priority. There were things that demonstrated an esteem, a, a love for the, for the guests. And so Jesus is invited to a dinner in the home of a religious leader, a Pharisee. Now, here's why that's important to understand. Because of all people... This particular person, this man, should have known what love is. You see, he was a religious leader. He talked to people about God. He taught people about God. He looked the part of someone who loved God. He he, he did all those things right. That's how these Pharisees lived. But what we find is a completely different story. Turning your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to go there to verse 41 in a second. But the Bible says that when Jesus shows up and he sits down, that a woman gets wind of the fact that Jesus is at this Pharisee's home. Now, the thing that's notable about this woman is that it it clearly tells us in the scripture that she was known to be a sinner. Let me put it to you this way. She She had a reputation that when everybody heard her name or saw her, they said, yep, there goes Mary quite contrary. <laughs> you know her, you know her story. And we don't know her story, but so this woman enters in to this home. And the Bible says that when she comes in, she's in tears. And she comes to the feet of Jesus. And she begins to kiss his feet, and to wash his feet with her tears and with her hair. You know, in Jewish culture, they believe that a woman's hair is her glory. So for her to take her hair and to begin to get into the crevices of his feet and to clean and wipe away and kiss his feet, there was something genuine happening there. The thing about it is that the Bible tells us that this Pharisee, this religious leader, who should have known better, he sits there, and he, as he sits there, he stands in judgment. He says, doesn't he know who this woman is? Washing his feet? Doesn't he know who this person is? And the scripture says that this woman, who was known who had this bad reputation, she comes in with this flask of oil. Very expensive oil. And she takes the oil and she pours it upon Jesus' head. She anoints him. 
This is important because in the midst of this, there was a lot of misunderstanding as to what was happening. Another portion of scripture tells us that one of the disciples, Judas of all people, says, hey, why would we have her waste that, that precious perfume? We could have sold that to the poor and, and gotten more money for the poor. If you know anything about Judas, it was about himself. He didn't understand love either. So let's go to verse 41 of Luke chapter 7 and explore what happened here in greater detail. Starting at verse 41, it says, Then Jesus told him this story. Jesus hears what this Pharisee is saying. And he says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Verse 41, it says that Jesus tells him a story. It says, A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. And so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. By the way, Jesus is using a parable. And for those of you that have been here long enough, you know this about parables. Parables are a tool that Jesus would use to reveal something about himself and about his kingdom. And how he relates to people. And so, get this, the man who was owned the money, who was owed the money is God. And the people who owed the debt are us. Right? So anyway, back to the story. And so he canceled their debts and Jesus asked this question, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And that's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and watch what Jesus says, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to remember verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to remember that for a reason. And so look, this Pharisee obviously thought that he was doing something great. After all, he did provide a dinner for Jesus. But he did the basic. I'm just going to invite him into my home. Outwardly, Pharisees were known to be commended for their religious service, their outward appearance before people. Uh, and for this guy, it meant something to him that he, of all people, was inviting Jesus to his home. But what we see here is that the one thing he lacked was love. It was love. You know, we can approach God that way if we're not careful. Where it's just about doing what we should do and lose the heart, lose the love for God. 
We can get so busy doing, 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 being, 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 that we forget that we can only love because he first loved us. We're going to touch on that in a second. And so this man looks upon this woman in judgment. But what he fails to realize is what actually happened to this woman. I want to remind you, can we put verse 50 up again? I want to remind you of the words of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. Your faith has saved you. Faith in what? Faith in what? This woman hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's home. And the first thing she does is not say, excuse me, Mr. Jesus, could you tell me the truth and teach me and, and tell me how to get my life together so that I can be saved, so that I can have this life that you've been telling people about? No, this woman came in and faith was already at work. You know why? Because she was already convinced of this one thing. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Notice that her expression of love was directly tied to her understanding of who loved her and forgave her. Put up verse 47. I want to show you something. It says, I tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. Get this. Jesus had not yet said to her, your sins are forgiven. And he says, her sins have already been forgiven. Why? Because she was already convinced of how much he loved her. Let me tell you that love truly does set us free. I said love truly does set us free. Love truly does restore lives and transforms everything around us. And so, look, in this encounter, we see two types of people in the story that Jesus shares. We see the Pharisee's experience with God, which was defined through his need to love in order to be loved. He believed, if I just love God, God will love me. But what we see in the life of this woman is that she understood love totally different. She put her faith in one thing. Jesus loves me. Forgives me. Accepts me. That'll turn your life around. And so, as we're wrapping up here, I want to just point some things out to you about the scriptures in regards to God's love for you. Go ahead and tell somebody, this is for me. This is for me. This is for me. This is for you. Not for anyone. This is for you. Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, get this. Here we are when we come to Christ and we go... Oh, man, I'm this wretched sinner. I'm so bad. I'm so wrong. It's a good thing that you recognize where you've been, but I want you to see what God sees. Look at what the scriptures say. It says that God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. But don't miss the first half of that. Even before the world was made, God said, the plan for your life is holy. You're right with me. Listen, you're not righteous with God because you do right. You're right with God because he made you right. 
because he says you're right. Because there is no fault in his eyes when he looks at you. You know, one of the biggest lies is in this world, people look at themselves and when they think about Jesus and they think about church, they think that somehow they have to measure up to something. If we could only do a better job of just simply displaying this truth, that God sees the best in you in your worst circumstance and believes in you more than you would even believe in him. God loves us that much. He says, you're destined for holiness, for righteousness. This is why we must get a hold of this love of God. Listen, God loved you before you were ever in the picture. Before you were ever in the picture. And listen, while you're in the picture and even after the fact, his love remains. And so he says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, whoa, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him pleasure. Check this out. You know what's interesting about adoption? In most cases... When you're going to adopt a child, you know how most people approach it. They get a portfolio. They get a magazine. They read all these things about this child, about all the challenges. And and then they make a decision. You know what God did? God said, get that out of my face. I don't need to see any of that. I don't need to hear any of that. I'm already convinced that you're mine. I've already destined you to be my child. I already love you, even though you don't believe it. Somebody needed to hear that today. Listen, instead of understanding love... From our limited experience, the picture that we see, we got to begin to get this, that God loved us beyond the picture. God loves you. You. He loves you. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Listen, you can't give love if you can't accept God's love. If we never partake of the love of God, we can never be a channel to give it. You can never love your husband the way God called you to. You can never be the parent that God called you to. You can never be the man that God has destined you to be in in this world, in your community. You can never do the things that God has called you to if you can't accept freely that God loves you. That he's not asking you for anything. Listen, there's no limit to the love of God. If we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that the way we love has limits. Right, Maurice? Until I throw a brick through your car window, right? (laughs) But if we truly understood love in this world, if we could just grasp and allow the roots of God's love to take hold in our lives, you know what would happen? There would be no such thing as unforgiveness. There would be no word as the word stranger that would exist in our vocabulary. And there would be no such thing as enemies, only family, only friends, only love. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, and I am convinced. Let me ask you a question. Are you convinced of God's love? Listen to what he says. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Somebody needs to hear this. You've been worrying about tomorrow. You've been thinking about today. And God's saying, baby, I'm still with you. I'm still walking this out with you. I've never left you. 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter how far you go and the barriers you think you create or the ones that you think exist between you and God, think about this. Real love, God's love, remains. Remains. And lastly, only real love gives us real life. Listen closely. Back to this story with this woman. This woman was riddled with shame. She was known by everyone to not just be at the bottom of the barrel, but under the barrel. She was overlooked. She was cast aside. She was judged. She was looked down upon. And she finds herself before Jesus. And verse 50 tells us that Jesus says to her, if we could just put that up again. He says, your faith has saved you. Watch this. He says, go in peace. You know what that word peace there means? That word peace is the Greek word. I'm going to jack this word up, so don't judge me. I think it's something like Irene or something like that. Or maybe Irene or whatever it is. But it means to prosper. Listen, it means to live in a state of quietness and rest. But watch what it also means. It means to be made whole again. Now maybe, just maybe, someone here needs to hear this. But there's an again with God. You're not done. You're not done. Listen. Where once you thought you understood what wholeness was. Oh, man. There's something better in store. There's something more ahead of you. You are not done yet because God loves you. You're not done yet because God's called you. You're not done yet because God has chosen you. You're not done yet because God is convinced of you. Jesus gave this woman a new life that would blossom from the root system of his love for her. And in like manner, without growing in our understanding of God's love for us, we cannot experience the true life that God